Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's installment of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller, here with my dear friend and fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you doing today? I am so good, Marty. How are you? I couldn't be better, thank you. So I'm excited about this week's topic, questions from the group. Why don't you tell everybody where we came up with this topic? Yes, so Marty and I, as well as some of our other uh, Master Instructors, are admin of the NASM Facebook page. And we go on every single day. We look at some of the questions that, that you guys have. And, you know, Marty and I will sit down and we'll start typing and typing. And then we look at it and we're like, gosh, it's like a book. So rather than just spending all of our time typing in front of a computer, we thought that maybe we'll start doing these often um, because they are really, really good questions. And we want to see if we can provide more verbal um, answers and maybe try to provide a little more um, clarity, give you some examples. So I'm super excited about this because these are questions from you guys that hopefully Marty and I can clarify for you. And Wendy, who doesn't want to hang out with us once a week? I'm just, just saying. <laughs> well, I'm hoping a lot of people. So I'm hoping that we, exactly. we continue so, to, uh, to grow this thing. <laughs> correct. So why don't we go to the next slide here? We'll kind of, we, even though you did an awesome job already, we got a couple of bullet points here on what our goal is. So people like, do you know we have an ASM certified personal trainer private page? You have to be certified. So search it out on Facebook, send in a request, and then our amazing admin staff will verify that you are certified. And then they will allow you to enter into the page. There are some rules. Obviously, it's a fun and engaging place to exchange ideas, but we're there for all positivity, even if we may have different training strategies, et cetera. So you'll see some kind of conduct, just like any other private page. Once you accept that, you're in and we're well over 12,500 last time I looked, Wendy. Wow. I love it. And, and you know, and yeah, and the information, not just from people that work for NASM or our master instructors, but just the community itself, they provide so much good information, so much experience on the page, which I find incredible. I learn something every single day. Um, but I also try to give back and, you know, it's important. Use us. That's why we're there. And we really want to help you grow your business. We want to help you grow just your own, you know, just, just think you can do this. And that was the biggest thing. I say that so many times. I feel like I'm more of a cheerleader often, but you know what, if you need that, let us know because we want to try to help you. We want to, we want to be there to provide support, answer questions and, um, and just let you know that we're there. Yep. And we could have picked a bunch of questions, but before we get to question one, let's move to the next slide. And we're going to kind of talk about what really the goal of that Facebook page was when NASM put it together. So what you'll see here is kind of, you know, the, on the next slide here, you'll see kind of some of the goals and objectives of, of what we have. So first and foremost is the network. You know, as I was saying uh, to you on a call earlier today, when you like, you know, a lot of people, they go out and they take this exam and then they kind of struggle on putting it together in the real life. And maybe they don't work with somebody that can really mentor them. Well, guess what? Virtually now you're going to have thousands of people that have been using it, Wendy <clears throat> and I, 20 years. <laughs> but uh, the good news is you're going to find somebody in that group that has, hey, I've been there. I've done this. This is how I do it. And then, you know, I personally love to have intellectual interactions. Like I thrive on that. I, I need to, you know, talk things out and dig deeper. And this is a great platform to do that because again, depending on where you work, if you're a private one-on-one, -on -one, you may not have that network of people around you that can truly grow you from having those intellectual conversations. 
And I think it's important because not just that, but you get to know people on social media or through social media. And then when we get to do our big conferences like Optima, you get to start to put some of these names and faces and how they interact and their experiences. It's almost like, you know, the person without meeting them. And so to me, I, I have met so many people through Optima and then I see them on social media or vice versa. And then you also find people that are in your, you know, your area. And I think that's super important as well, because I know for me, you know, my books are packed. Like I can't see any more clients. And if I do, they're kind of one-offs. If I'm trying to help someone move better, feel better. And then I work with that trainer and I provide so many different referrals to people because I want to help them grow their business. And I think, you know, understanding where people are from and all that I think is also really good because it helps me. I know they're in great hands and then we can work together. Um, so it's kind of like I'm a mentor to some people in my community um, because I can be, and I would have never known some of these individuals if I had not been on our Facebook page. Absolutely. And you keep putting yourself out there. You never know what things are either you're going to learn or what opportunities come next. However, since we had so many amazing questions, we kind of condensed them down to just a handful. But why don't we roll right in here to question number one? What do you think, Wendy? I think it sounds good. So, Marty, I just became certified. So what are my next steps? Where do I start? <laughs> Such a loaded question. We could be here for like an hour, but we right. won't do that to y'all. Correct. Yeah. So the way I tend to handle this, and we have some graphics here uh, that'll pop up here in a second to kind of, you know, highlight what my thoughts were as I put this together. So, you know, it really depends on what your goals are, right? So I've had people who, um, you know, they're like, oh, I don't know if I should do this or not. I'm like, well, what's worst case? What's the worst thing? You become your own certified personal trainer, right? And then all of a sudden, like, okay, I'm certified. Now what? You know, it really depends on, do you have a passion on who you want to work with? Do you have a passion on what type of business you want to work in? Is there a, a certain you know, environment you want to work in? Because if that is the case, let's get you on a plan to head in that direction. Because if you say that you want to work with athletes or females or youth, and you don't create a plan for that, you may, you may have some awesome experiences, but you may not be able to you know, follow on that path. But simultaneously, worst case, you're your own first client. So as you were getting certified and as you go into the field, you need to be living, breathing this model on you and your own program each and every day. Well, I think it's important because Marty, like you said, you need to have that plan, but then you also need to be specific into your plan. And so, you know, if, if your niche is, okay, I know that I want to work with youth athletes, then my first question that I would say is, okay, great. What do you want to do with them? Like, do you want to work with them in specific sports? Do you want to work with them just in general? Is there, you know, a certain population like, you know, um, you, you know, obese youth, because unfortunately we're seeing these numbers grow and maybe that's what you want to focus on. Um, maybe it's, you know, you want to work with runners. And so you really then want to think like to your point, Marty, you want to find the population that you really want to work with. You want to know what you're passionate about, and then you're going to have to start getting into more specifics. And that's the beauty of NASM is because we do offer so many variety of courses that can kind of help you grow even more into that particular niche to separate you from the others. And I think that's the big thing. You've got to market yourself. You've got to know what you want, but then you have to be 100% confident in your ability. And I think that's where you know people sometimes it gets the disconnect. You pass your you pass your exam and then you're like, well, now what do I do? Right. Well, like you said, practice it, use the model yeah. and then go after what you want. 
Yeah, there's nothing more frustrating to me than someone that passed the exam and then they revert right back to not using the information. I understand sometimes they're in study mode, but if you're studying it, you're studying it to become a master of it to some level. So make sure you use it each and every single day. There's a reason you chose NASM. There's a reason NASM has become the gold standard. So, you know, we see a lot of questions and I'm like, go back to the model, go back to the model, go back to the model. Because that is going to be my answer for most of these questions at first. And then from there, we can kind of move through onto, okay, you're using the model. Now, here's some of the points that uh, you brought up elsewhere. Yeah. And if we go to the next slide, you guys can kind of see our little, you know, we're trying to put some graphics together, um, you know, like as we go through. So, you know, you, you made a good point, Marty. So I, I think hopefully we answered number one. If not, go back onto the Facebook page or let us know and we can dive a little bit deeper. Um, but, you know, with, with that being said, just practice. But that also then comes into question number two and why I wanted to go ahead and advance that slide was I get this question all the time. Marty, I know you do as well. And this is one that I become very passionate about because I, it's, it's about being creative but it's also about being smart in your choices and making sure that it makes sense because it's not how creative you are if it's not going to help the, the client long-term. So Marty, with that being said, here's the question and I'm going to let you go first because I pretty much just did a little bit of a, uh, <laughs> my thoughts without even getting into the question. But question is, is I struggle coming up with new exercises. So how can I learn to be more creative? Well, here, here's my thing is, we use the term exercises and all this. To me, I start with that's a term that I use to my client, right? Because I need to communicate them on a kind of simplistic manner compared to what maybe might be going on in my brain. We train movement patterns. So I'm looking at, am I doing a push? Am I doing a pull? Am I doing triple flexion, triple extension? Am I, you know, what phase of the model am I in, et cetera? So if I don't get caught up on, I need a new exercise for me, I have a clear vision on what I'm trying to do. I'm like, okay, what phase of training I'm in? I'm in stabilization endurance. That means I'm looking for little to no movement in the spine. I'm looking to keep them on a on a single leg for balance. Am I now working on thoracic rotation? Am I, and then from there, I can figure out on a progression from simple to complex, what are the movement patterns? It may look like an exercise. I may call it an exercise to my client, but my thought process, that's how it goes through. And that doesn't mean I might not see something on Instagram like, oh, that's a cool exercise. But then I reverse engineer it going, okay, that would fit in stabilization. That would fit into this progression. And this would be something, or I'm going to tweak this because they allowed this compensation. So I really try not to focus on, I need new exercises. I need to figure out ways that I'm going to train the human body in all three planes of motion in a progressive manner and through all three phases of training. So I know my acute variables. I know what makes up something that would be an exercise in each phase, but I know the progressions and regressions. So where my stance would be, how do I advance and make it more progressive if I change the stance or if I change the lever arm or if I change the tempo? From there, exercises just kind of fall into place in my mind. And then again, when I see somebody else do an exercise, I'm like, that was cool. But here's where within the uh, movement patterns, I could place it and hijack it. And, and 
to your point, it is there are so many different tools and fun little gadgets to to use every day at the gym. You're like, oh, like this Bozu ball is really great, and one of them has more air in it. This one doesn't have as much air, and you've got all these suspension trainers. You've got all this stuff. But guys, just because there's stuff doesn't mean that it's appropriate for your clients. So you know, be smart in your choices. Never, ever, ever sacrifice your form for a number. Okay, that's that's number one. We're always talking about the five kinetic chain checkpoints, making sure that they can do the tempo that you're asking them to do. They're executing it to the best of their ability, and you're knowing that they're they're doing very well. And then to your point, Marty, it is about the progression. And Marty and I, a couple, well, it's been a while now, but we did two different um, webinars on what we call the neural continuum. And we did an upper body one and we did a lower body one. And if you look at the graphic on the right, that's basically the neural continuum. And as Marty said, you're going to start in the most stable position that you can be in. And then you start to advance it. So, you know, think about something, for example, as such as just a, a chest press on the cable. So you're standing, like think about lower body. If, if I'm standing and the cable, if the pool is from behind me and I stagger my stance, I have a wider base of support. And then I would do a two arm chest press starting, you know, with my elbows out, I press it forward. Well, maintaining that staggered stance, then I can do something where I have both hands ba back and I just push one forward. So I'm alternating my arm. I can hold both, both cables in front the whole time and bring one of them back and then meet and alternate it that way. I can simultaneously alternate my arms. I can drop one handle back and do a single arm. I can do a single arm with rotation and that's still with the wide base of support. Every one of those exercises that I just gave you is going to place a neural demand that's different on your body even though you're still doing quote a chest press on the cable. And then if I start to change my base of support, so from staggered stance, I go side by side, then I have to make sure that I don't get thrown backwards, right? Because I have to really fight the cable, utilizing my core, maintaining proper alignment, and then executing that exercise. And then follow that same two arm, alternating arm, many different patterns, the single arm, single arm rotation, and then try it single leg. And then you can put them on something for stability. I mean, there's so many different variations, and that's just one way of doing a chest press on a cable now think your ball you know uh, chest presses on the ball on the bench there's just so many different varieties and so just just remember it's all about changing up what you have available making sure they can execute that correctly and be creative with sometimes do you know alternating arm single arm you know double arm whatever you want to do just don't always do the same thing because mm -hmm. challenge your client make it fun and then Another time, do the push-ups. Another time, do the dumbbells. You know, yep. exactly. And sometimes, I, before we go to question three, is we tend to get bored as trainers prior to, to our client. There's a lot of things that they're willing to do, workout to workout. If again, if you add these little tweaks, so don't try to get too creative. So awesome, great points, Wendy. Yes, you as well. So those of you guys that are joining us, Marty and I are doing our webinar on questions from the group. This is from our CPT at Facebook page, and so far we've talked about. I passed. Now what? Then we we're talking about, okay, I'm bored or I think I'm bored. I need some new exercises. So we just discussed the neural continuum. Question number three, Marty, as intensity increases, is it okay to allow just minor, not major, just a little bit of compensation in form, especially if it's new? This is one where my head starts to hurt is no. 
because your body is going to reproduce what you allow it or train it to get better at. Now, I'm going to put this into two buckets. If you are training for the sport of fitness, and Wendy, you and I did one on this, and you're picking an exercise for a reason that this person has to do it for a competition or for whatever, you're, there are some exercises you cannot help but compensate. For example, if I'm doing a push press with a bar, I'm either going to hit myself in the chin or I'm going to have to arch my back to give myself clearance. There is no way I've yet to see a bar where they take a spot, you know, out of the bar for your chin, that'd be called dumbbells. So I would do dumbbell push presses, but if you have to do it with a bar, you're allowing a compensation. So the only time I'll say that is acceptable is if it is for a specific end result that the person has to do, not wants to do, has to do, but I will still limit that as best as possible. So if I put in the bucket that I'm in total control of every single exercise, intensity is when, when you increase intensity, there should be no compensation form because that if, if I allowed it, that means I didn't progress people through the model properly. So if I progress people through the model properly and I understand my Q variables and I pick safe exercises, compensation means fatigue is setting in. It means that they've reached their upper limit. And people are like, well, I could push harder. Well, you can push harder mentally and maybe cardiovascularly, but your muscular system, your nervous system is telling you I've got nothing left. So if I continue to overload it, one, I'm going to get better bad form. And two, that stress has to go somewhere now. It might go to your cervical spine. It might go to your rotator cuff. It might go to your lumbar spine. It might go wherever. So I am rigid that as soon as compensation start, I do one of two things quickly. I remind somebody their form and technique. I regress. Or the third thing, I guess, is I bail on the exercise and it's up. It's, it, you know, time is up. They've done enough because their body is telling me that they've reached their end limit. I am, I pretty much follow that 100% as well. And, you know, and keep in mind because this is, I think, where things get confusing. You, we are not teaching and training you for a sport, we're training you to move better, perform better, and feel better all together. And so if I train you in the five kinetic chain checkpoints and I do have the correct acute variables, my exercise selection is great. To Marty's point, I should maintain proper alignment. But if this person is now going to go and do Olympic lifting or they're going to be doing a competition and they have to be able to get you know, down to a certain level with a bar behind their back and they're working on their squats, then their feet are turned out. They're at a wider base of support. That's different. I'm not training for that. I'm training to kind of counteract that when they come back to help with proper alignment, to reduce further chances of injury. I don't want to train someone in their sport position if I, you know, because then I'm, it's the repetitive motion of being incorrect. You know, people don't always run a certain way. They may not have certain patterns. That's just life. So we want to train for ideal movement. So therefore, when they go back to life or whatever it is that they have to do in their job, in their sport, then they're going to be doing it in a safer way because we're training them ideal and then they're doing what they have to do to execute their sport. It's, it's kind of a win-win. But again, are you a trainer or are you their coach? Because there's two different things. I'm training you as a trainer. I'm not training you for your sport, even though you will become stronger long-term when you go back to do whatever they want you to do. And it comes down to there is ideal, proper human movement. There just is. That whole biomechanics thing, you know? I know. Go figure it out that they made a four-year degree just on that. Who knew? Um, So, Marty, question number four. 
why wouldn't I have my clients or why wouldn't I have my clients warm up on their favorite cardio piece before stretching? Now I'm giving this to you because Mr. Techno Jim, tell me why not use some of your amazing pieces of equipment right when I walk in the gym? We have absolutely amazing pieces of equipment, but here's the thing is I could have said this on the last slide or this slide information in information out. So what I mean by that is whatever movement patterns that I practice good or bad, I'm going to get more of. So if somebody is coming in and they have faulty movement patterns because they've never trained with us or because like right now we're sitting or whatever the case may be, if I don't correct these movement patterns and then I have them warm up, which we'll get to, all I'm doing is overloading the faulty movement pattern. Okay. So one, like we talked about last week, when you driving your car out of balance, the harder you drive it, the longer you drive it, good things don't happen, bad things do. So we want to do our strategy before, depending what phase of training, but let's call it corrective strategy right now, where we inhibit, lengthen, activate. So that way, when they do move repetitively, they're moving more efficiently. But the second caveat to this is every muscle is already warm anyways, or we would be dead. It's called homeostasis. Roughly everybody's muscles around 98.6 right now, wherever you are, I promise you, if you're watching this, that means you're awake. That means you're alive. You're 98.6 plus or minus a very small degree. We sweat to maintain 98.6. So our muscle isn't going to go from 98.6 to 110. So the warm up term is kind of generically used. It should just be preparation. So there's a lot of things physiologically you want to do to prepare the body. I'm not saying you walk from the car and then you go skip, you know, a light warm up and go right into box jumps. But there are other things that we need to do. And the warm up that NESM has designed takes care of all that with the self myofascial techniques, the appropriate stretching continuum into activation, into core. So that way the body is moving towards a readiness for preparation of an activity. But the first thing you can see here, these are marathon runners at a very high level. We want to fix those biomechanics so that way they're not overloading that tissue, causing more inflammation, causing the pain cycle, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why even though with our Technogym amazing equipment that would tell you you're dysfunctional, actually, that's not step one. <laughs> yes. And, and, and I think it's important to say that we're not saying if you, if you are just like you love to do cardio before you actually go and lift heavy weights, that's totally fine. But if your foot is, is, you know, externally rotated or there's knee valgus, so the knee comes in, that is your common compensation and you are new to coming in, you just got your assessment and it takes the body approximately four to six weeks to correct some of these compensations. Well, okay, if we're like on session number two or three, those compensations are probably there and we're working on trying to get that corrected. So if that is a common compensation, they were, let's say high heels to work, they wear a skirt, so they cross their legs. They've been sitting at a desk for eight to 10 hours or in traffic or whatever it is. And then they go and change into their sneakers and their, their workout clothes. And then they're like, okay. And you're saying, well, why don't you go run or walk as fast as you can for one minute or one, like, I don't know, 10 minutes, five to 10 minutes. And then we're going to get started. Then you're increasing that compensation with the foot turning out and the knee going in. And now let me have you either walk fast or run to get my heart rate up. So we're not saying that cardio, there's not a lot of benefit to it. However, to Marty's point, if you foam roll those overactive muscles, you properly stretch them, 
you activate the opposing side just to help with realignment. And then you want them to go and spend 10 minutes on that piece of cardio equipment. That's fantastic. That's fine. If that's what you want to do and that's part of your programming, that, then do that. If not, then have your client come in five or 10 minutes early, spend time foam rolling and stretching, do you know something like tube walking or bridges or whatever it is that are going to be really good activation exercises. And then at that point say, okay, now go ahead and spend time on whatever piece of equipment you want to put them on. So we're not saying don't do it. It's just place it in the right spot. So therefore they're going to move better and you're actually helping them versus feeding into that compensation that you know they're going to have. And this goes back to our first question in a sense where, you know, why we have the Facebook pages, we have people that get certified and this is in the information. And then they ask us this question, which is great, but that's why the way our text is written is you're, you don't see people getting on a treadmill before they do those other parts of the, of the model. There's a reason why. There is a reason you must have a reason. If not, I'm going to, I'm going to call you out. I'm going to say, why are you doing this? Exactly. <laughs> so all right, Marty, question number five, and this is going to be the last one, just because I know we could have spent probably hours going through all of these questions. And again, I'm just going to say this before we even get into this question. This is why we love these questions. We want to be able to bring you answers and hopefully prov provide clarity. So with that being said, last question for you, Marty. I know it's possible to warm up and cool down. I, I mean, important. I know that this is important. We tell you that the book tells you that everyone in the world says it's, you know, warming up and cooling down, super important. However, how do you get this all done? You're telling me I need to warm up by rolling and stretching and activating. And then you want me to do a whole workout and cool down. How do you do that in an hour? There's a couple of different ways. First and foremost, set the expectations right with your client. Like if I was training Wendy, be like, hey, Wendy, you know, after all of the formalities, right, we've built some rapport, be like Wendy. When you come in to train, we're here to train. If you want to talk and you can talk, as long as you're moving, I'm okay with it. But here's what we're going to do. The other thing too is tell, show, do. I always show people what we're going to do after I tell them. So being able to demonstrate these exercises, people pick it up quicker than me trying to talk them through it. But also being prepared for creating the program within the facility that makes sense for what I where I'm at. You know, I'm looking at, do I need to stay in this corner or a cave? How am I going to go across this massive gym? Wendy, I know you do an amazing job. You design your programs the night before. That prepares me to understand who am I with? What equipment do I need? Is it possible? Et cetera, et cetera. But one of the big things that I tell my clients all the time is we're from 12 o'clock to one o'clock. If you get here sooner and get your foam rolling done and all that done, that way at 12 o'clock, we can hit it and go, boom, done. So that way they know that this session is serious business. We're not here just to hang out and talk. And I am here to physically get you through a program. But I also set myself up for success by picking back to the exercises, movement patterns that make sense, that are logical for this person. So there's no struggling. They're not over fatigued. They're not having uh, too much time learning them. So again, I plan for that success. If you do the math and you do the sets, the reps, the tempos that we suggest, and you add it up, which Wendy and I had to do back in the day when we got approved to teach all this. Remember when Mr. Korn, uh, oh, yes. that was 37 seconds too long. It works mathematically. But with that, you have to understand how to control your environment, communicate with your client, and then maybe carve a few things out that they can do on their own. I always tell my clients, you don't, you, you don't need to pay me to continue to watch you foam roll your IT band.
But if you don't come in and do it ahead of time, you're going to pay me to watch you foam roll your IT band because I will not exclude that. So there's ways that you're going to find work best for you, best with your clientele base. And then you're going to find, again, what works within your environment, but you can absolutely get it done. And I've had people do 30-minute sessions three, four times a week, and we get it done. That is what the, the, how I divide up their program. Not a problem. I'm the same way. And, and a lot of times, and, and I hate to say this, but the reason why people can't get it done is because you're talking too much. Mm-hmm. And you know, what the thing is, is I love my clients. My, my clients really do start to become my family because I've been training them for so many years. I know about their husbands and their kids and what they're doing over the weekend and all that. And so, you know, that's really good for rapport and they start to see, you know, a little bit more, they dig deeper into your knowledge and your ability and, and all the stuff that you know, and like how lucky that they got you as that trainer. But what's important is when I'm done, like when somebody comes in and they roll and they stretch, I'm like, all right, now let's grab this band. I'm going to have you do your tube walking. Okay. So peel out of that. I've already got the, the weight. I'm going to get hand them a weight. The ball is right there. They go right into their bridges. And then I'm going to have them go into walking lunges with rotation. I mean, again, I have the plan. Like I write it all down. I keep records of every single thing that I do. I have the little pod, my area of stuff that I need. That's not in anyone else's way because I do work with other trainers. It's not my own gym where I'm in there solo. So I need to be respectful of my space and equipment. And then I just go, 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 go. And then I'm saying, okay, you know what? I want you to go over there. You've got a 60 second break, grab some water, grab your towel. And then we're going to come right back and we're going to hit it again. And so then we go into set two guys, you have to make sure that your program, like to Marty's point, you know what you're doing. You can adjust on the fly. There's always going to be someone that comes in and they end up, you know, twisted their ankle or they did something over the weekend and they didn't tell you till they got into the gym. So there are going to be times where you're going to have to pivot, if you will, choose something else that's safer for that moment um, or work with them to help whatever it is that they need or they're just exhausted. Um, So you may take some of the cardio metabolic glass out or whatever it is. But if you don't have a plan, and you're talking too much, and you're sitting down with them, they don't get a break. You get 60 seconds, get your water and let's go. You know, most of my clients are weight loss clients or they're high, you know, performance athletes. They need to play the minutes. They need to get tired. I need to wear them out, but I need to make sure their form execution and everything is money. And if they can't do it, then you know what? We're going to choose something else. We're going to regress them and move on. You have to be that way because they're paying you not to be your friend. They're paying you to hit a specific goal. Correct. And one, I just got to mention pivot friends. It's just, I'm sorry. playing in my head right now, pivoting off that. But on the flip side, before we wrap this up is that works amazing for highly conditioned, but I have that same approach for my brand new decondition because again, I can do their balance in between why they rest. There's so many creative yes. ways that goes back to practicing the model. So regardless of the spectrum of individual, you can continually do something every second of that session and still work with whomever comes in. And to your point, Marty, if they do need that 90 second rest in between each exercise, that plan that again, that's why it's important to have your plan. And so what is their goal? What are they able to do? And I think that's extremely important. So very good point. Um, Because again, you're going to know about them when you sit down and do your client intake form of what they're going to be able to do. And um, I had a brand new client this morning, trained her virtually. She was like, man, you're tough. And she's like, I like it. And she's like, I just finished. She literally switched from another trainer to me. 
Um, I trained her husband and so she thought she'd give me a try and it stuck. And it was mainly because I, I don't, I don't, I get in there, we get it done even over the computer and watching her form and technique, it really does make a difference. Absolutely. So key takeaways, Wendy. Yes. If you're not on the NASM CPT Facebook page and you are NASM CPT certified, get on there guys. Like let us help you because we, I have so much fun on that page and it, you know, and even when people give themselves kudos, like I trained my very first client today and I did this, 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 and this, or we get that. I have a brand new client. I just wrote this program. Here's my program. What do you think? I mean, those types of questions we see all the time and watching people grow, I think is fantastic for the veteran trainers, but when you're brand new, let us help you grow too. So be a part of it. Use all your resources. Now you're Jerry Maguire in it, but that's okay. Yeah. Help me help you. Exactly. And stick to the OT. Show me the money. And it all, they work together. So stick to the OPT model at all, all, all questions. Always stick to the model. So Wendy, why don't we give them our information so they can get a hold of us outside the Facebook Yes. And, and we love doing these types of, of, um, I don't know, these types of webinars, because again, I, there are questions that literally came for you guys. Yes. And we want to, like I said, be able to always provide, um, whatever we can for you. So if you have additional questions, um, that you would like for us to do, then either put them on the Facebook page or you can email me or Marty, but my email address is wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And my information, marty.miller at nasm.org and Instagram, dr.martymiller72. Wendy, thank you for this idea. I know you got an email from one of our amazing uh, NASM family members, so we will definitely come back around on this a few weeks from now. So everyone, thank you so much for attending, and we look forward to seeing you on our next Master Instructor Roundtable. 